This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. Welcome to Global Tennessee. Today we're pleased to bring you a conversation with Janet Napolitano, President of the University of California and former Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Secretary Napolitano previously served as Attorney General and then two terms as Governor of Arizona. In 2008, President-elect Barack Obama asked her to serve as Secretary of Homeland Security. She's become accustomed to leading enormous organizations. The University of California, which she heads, is collectively the most comprehensive and advanced post-secondary education system in the world and accounts for about $50 billion in economic impact yearly. Likewise, the Department of Homeland Security, which she led from 2009 to 2013, is among the largest federal government organizations. It was created in the aftermath of 9-11, and its size and scope is overwhelming. Today, we'll be talking with Secretary Napolitano about her leadership at the DHS, and we'll see if we can answer the question she poses in her new book, How Safe Are We? Secretary Napolitano, welcome to Nashville, and thank you for stopping by the World Affairs Council and our Global Tennessee podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, we, uh, we're, we're very happy that uh, you are here and uh, talking to our community about how safe uh, are we, which uh, you describe in the book as uh, a report card on the post-9-11 environment, especially the work of the Homeland Security Department. First, let me thank you for contributing a great read to the conversation on these important issues, and I highly recommend it to our listeners. Uh, all of us are stakeholders in this effort. Can you start us off with the, the background and uh, context uh, for uh, DHS? You've uh, mentioned in, in your book that you started out with a glossary of all the acronyms of all the <laughs> organizations uh, un, under your leadership and, and throughout the government that uh, you had to deal with, uh, certainly a, a broad spectrum of responsibility. So the Department of Homeland Security was created in the aftermath of the attacks of 9-11, and it uh, brought together what formerly had been 22 different agencies of the federal government from different legacy departments. Uh, uh, So the uh, Coast Guard came from the Department of uh, uh, Transportation, Um, uh, the um, uh, what became Immigration and Customs Enforcement was previously INS at the Department of Justice and, and so forth. So it brought under one roof uh, 22 different agencies, and then it created some new ones out of whole cloth, like the Transportation Security Administration, the TSA. Um, and the 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 department was given very broad uh, statutory responsibilities, um, responsible for securing the land borders of the United States, the maritime borders of uh, the United States, uh, air transportation, rail transportation, uh, cybersecurity, the protection of the nation's critical infrastructure, uh, disaster response and resilience. So FEMA was part of the, is part of the department. Uh, immigration enforcement, uh, and also uh, managing the citizenship process itself. So um, uh, it it touches uh, uh, every aspect of uh, 
individual and community security within in the United States. It's the third largest department of the federal government. Uh, it, it represents the largest reorganization of the federal government since the creation of the Department of Defense in the aftermath of World War II. Uh, and you know, it's still relatively young. Uh, it came into being in 2003. Uh, you know, people say that it took the Department of Defense, you know, 40 some odd years to really act as a as a department. Um, uh, and and they were bringing together far fewer <laughs> um, elements. Uh, sure, and so, a, a common purpose, and, and, and very much so. Um, so, from just from a management perspective, DHS is a challenge. Not not to mention its profound responsibilities. Uh, and so, I had the privilege of leading it for uh, four and a half years. And uh, part of my work was bringing the department together, establishing priorities. Um, uh, uh, you know. Uh, fixing some things, uh, and uh, moving the department toward full maturity. Now, what, were the, the, uh, what was the state of play, the issues that, uh, that obtained when you, you became the secretary 10 years ago? We were still concerned about al-Qaeda, and the Transportation Security Administration was, was finding ways to, uh, to safeguard the, the air travel community. And, right. So and, and we had uh, emergency management. There was... Uh, no, no letdown in storms and, and other disasters. So you, you had a full plate. What, what kinds of things, remind us 10 years ago what was going on. So Al-Qaeda um, and air travel uh, uh, um, were still there, constant threat streams. Um, uh, we probably had more threats against aviation than um, any other kind of threat while I was uh, at, at DHS, I think in part because uh, in a in a weird uh, kind of sick way, the attack of 9/11 was viewed as a gold standard for a, a terrorist attack. Uh, so we were doing a lot of work uh, in that space, um, and FEMA was really in a post-Katrina uh, funk, uh, and uh, we really. Um, had to kind of take FEMA down to uh, its bones and restructure it and re rebuild it. And I, I think um, uh, great credit for that goes to the director that we uh, recruited, Craig Fugate, um, who was the emergency uh, management director for the state of Florida and came into the administration as the head of FEMA. Now, some of the things you addressed in uh, your book, you went through... Uh what we got right and where where we need to improve. What what uh, did DHS get right in it, since it uh, is its inception in 2003, and so, under, under your leadership? So I think uh, um, uh, we got uh, right um, aviation security. Uh, the kind of attack that occurred on 9/11 just cannot happen uh, uh, that way again. It, it would be. Um, uh, Im impossible for uh, a conspiracy of foreign nationals to enter the United States, go to flight school, uh, get on commercial airliners, um, take over the cockpit, and uh, fly planes into iconic buildings um, like the World Trade Center or the Pentagon, as they did on 9-11. Um, so uh, we really handled uh, that threat. 
Uh, and we began the process of moving toward uh, risk analysis, meaning that we began uh, making security um, uh, adjustments based on our analysis of risk and not, for example, treating all travelers the same. So we developed something called TSA PreCheck, um, uh, meaning that um, for passengers that we had information about before they got to the airport, uh, um, we knew they were no risk. They could go into a line, keep their shoes on, uh, keep uh, their laptops with them, et cetera. Um, uh, and, um, uh, so that, you know, that kind of theory of risk analysis enabled us to, to, to do diff different things, uh, areas that, uh, one, one would think that it's easier to lay on new requirements than roll them back. So I, I, I think hats off to people who were, uh, forward looking enough to, to mitigate some of the things that weren't absolutely necessary. Right. And, you know, uh, I so wish that we had the technology and capability to allow everyone to keep their shoes on and keep their liquids with them. Uh, but the technology just doesn't exist to enable people to do that and move through the line quickly enough. You know, U.S. Sure. airports uh, manage, you know, about 1.8 million passengers a day. Wow. Um, it's a... It's the largest, most complex aviation uh, market um, in the world, uh, and uh, so you, you know you're always uh, caught between doing the most thorough screening possible and the need to move passengers through the lines. Now, you also had a number of other uh, uh, items emerge on your watch. The, uh, ISIS became a threat. You had uh, the Deepwater Horizon. Uh, spill in the Gulf, uh, H1N1 uh, threats. We started with H1N1. That was shortly after I became secretary. And it turns out that one of the responsibilities of the Department of Homeland Security is to be the federal coordinator if there is a pandemic. Um, and um, uh, we had this new flu arise. Um, uh, our vaccinations for that year, there's a different vaccine for every year because the flu virus changes a little bit every, from year to year. Uh, the vaccine we had didn't marry up with H1N1. Uh, and we had uh, um, some school-aged children die. Uh, it began, uh, we had a death in California. Then there were several in New York City. Um, and so... We didn't know at the outset whether we were facing uh, a flu like 1918 um, that killed tens of millions of people around the globe uh, or whether it would be a, a milder flu. And it turned out, fortunately for us, it was a milder flu. But I will tell you uh, that one of the things I learned was that if we were truly to have the kind of flu we had in 1918 with that kind of mortality rate, our country would still be uh, uh, really stressed because um, uh, our healthcare system is is just so fragile in that regard. Hmm. Uh, can you talk about the? You know, a lot of people remember the Deepwater Horizon and and the the uh, calamity at, along the Gulf. Any any remembrances about how that was dealt with and you know the uh, behind the scenes and the, and the public uh, uh, portrayal of, of what was going on? So, oh, absolutely, and, and I talk about it in, in, in the book. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, 
uh, when the um, oil rig exploded in the Gulf and then sank uh, a day or two later. Um, uh, and of course, we had the immediate death of uh, some of the workers uh, on the platform. Uh, uh, but then oil started uh, coming up uh, from the, the bottom of the, of the Gulf. And, uh, you know, this was oil that uh, uh, was over a mile below the surface. Um, and it, uh, uh, the president declared it um, a spill of national significance, which is a term of art in the statute. It means that DHS, once again, is the federal coordinating agency. Uh, I appointed the uh, um, Coast Guard as the uh, lead coordinator for it, um, and uh, uh, the uh, Commandant of the Coast Guard as the federal coordinating official. Um, but it was... We can all remember the daily uh, briefings. And oh, yeah. And, you, you know, it was um, really quite um, complex because... Uh, um, you know, it, it was affecting, you know, the fishery industry, the tourist industry, um, uh, and communities all along the Gulf. Uh, and um, um, BP, British Petroleum, um, uh, had really had not uh, adequately planned for what would happen if uh, there were such a, a spill on its watch. Not a shining moment. Not a shining moment. And so... Uh, we basically had to shove BP out of the way uh, and and take over, and so we had numerous federal agencies that we were coordinating. So we had, um, uh, in the end, we had thousands of people from DHS uh, strewn in communities all along along the Gulf. Uh, we had the EPA. Uh, we had the Department of Energy. Uh, um, we had some of the assets of the Department of Defense. Uh, we had the Department of Interior. Uh, and those were just a few of the federal agencies that were involved. And then, of course, the, the White House. Uh, so uh, one of the things I did was I uh, convened, at the beginning it was twice a day, then we uh, evened off to once a day conference calls with the principals, the actual cabinet secretary and agency heads of all of the feds involved, uh, so that we made sure that we were coordinated. Uh, and then, uh, you know, there was uh, uh, a lot of media attention uh, um, that, uh, you know, they're looking for a, a, a story. And, um, uh, you know, the story was that we were moving uh, equipment from all, uh, all over the world to come down to the Gulf, not just for containment, but for cleanup. Uh, uh, some of it had to come all the way through the Panama Canal and up. Um, uh, we were uh, deploying people to work with local communities to make sure they were getting information um, and, and so forth. So it was a massive uh, kind of uh, accumulation of federal resources to deal with this. Uh, I think at, at the peak we had about 60,000 um, uh, feds working uh, work the spill. Um, and we had, um, it was interesting, uh, I, I so remember this one uh, uh, episode, Steve Chu was the Secretary of Energy, 
Uh, he is a Nobel Prize winner in physics. Um, and uh, uh, one time he said, Janet, he goes, Janet, it's all about the pressure. And I was like, well, Steve, we're all under a lot of pressure. <laughs> and, and he goes, no, I mean the pressure at the bottom of, of the Gulf. That pushing that the oil is out. Pushing the oil out. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, and uh, BP had no instrumentation down there. There was no way to measure the pressure. And of course, that was a key data point that was uh, needed. Uh, and you know, one of the theories for containing the spill was to put uh, a dome over the over to the cap, top to cap, to cap it. it. And the problem with that was the fear that it would push oil down, and the oil would come up through cracks uh, along the Gulf floor, and instead of having one central place where it was coming out, then you'd have, you know, hundreds if not thousands of places. So um, uh, there were just a lot of technical um, issues with respect to uh, containing the spill. Uh, ultimately, it, it was contained. I'll tell you another funny episode that, that happened there, kind of funny in retrospect, I guess, but... Uh, we were really doing uh, quite a good job at keeping the oil from getting to the beaches. Um, and uh, if it got to the beach, immediately doing cleanup. Uh, and, uh, and yet the media kept showing pictures of a duck that was... Uh, uh, covered in oil, and and we were convinced that there was one duck, and they were just passing the duck around, saying, you know, hey, who's got the duck now? Um, uh, kind of a but, meme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of a meme. Uh, but uh, in in any event, um, uh, it was a real test for the Department of of Homeland Security, and um, uh, you and know. meanwhile, there's uh, Al Qaeda and. Oh yeah, yeah. The Pandemics and uh, everything else is still on, the, on your at the agenda. same during the same time period. I think we had the Times Square bomber uh, uh, occurred, um, and uh, so you know we were multitasking on, on sure. a number of areas. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, the BP oil spill was quite something. And then later in your uh, your posting as, as secretary, you had the the Boston Marathon bombing. We had the Boston Marathon bomber in uh, 2013, and um, uh, um, you know that um, you know that was indicative of how terrorism had changed from Al Qaeda. So uh, the planning for the attack of 9/11 was was a big conspiracy, um, and it was. Uh, led by Osama bin Laden, um, uh, who obviously was leading it from afar. Uh, you know, the Boston Marathon uh, bombing was um, two brothers who, you know, um, uh, kind of came up with this idea, uh, um, took it upon themselves to build uh, a bomb uh, using a, a recipe um, that they found online. Uh, and um, uh, so, um, you know, there were no communications to intercept. Uh, there uh, was no way to plant an informant or to use other kinds of standard uh, law enforcement tactics. Uh, but one thing that did happen uh, was um, uh, just by actually uh, coincidence, a few weeks before the Boston Marathon, uh, uh, we, uh, 
we had uh, supported uh, an exercise in Boston for a mass casualty event. Uh, and, uh, and so you kind of exercise. Um, how do you triage patients? Where do they go, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Uh, when the bombing occurred, it was a mass casualty event. And um, uh, the ability to get health care rapidly um, to those who were injured um, I think kept uh, the casualty rate way down. We are talking with uh, former DHS Secretary Janet Napolitano. This is the Global Tennessee Podcast from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, today we're at uh, beautiful Belmont University. And uh, before we take a break, we're going to talk uh, just briefly about uh, her book, uh, which is titled How Safe Are We? And uh, in it she uh, draws the question, where do we need to improve? Uh, Madam Secretary, we're... Where do you see uh, the effort going forward, That the, the things we need to, to be aware of uh, to fix the vulnerabilities in our, our civil defense and uh, preparedness? And Well, I think um, one uh, area that people don't normally think of when they think of Homeland Security uh, is uh, the risks um, associated with climate change. Um, and the relationship between global warming and extreme weather events, um, uh, which are responsible themselves for loss of life, loss of property. I live in California now. We uh, lost dozens of lives last year due to forest fires. The forest fires attributable to drought in in the forests and um, the drought attributable to uh, global warming. Uh, and so from uh, just a safety and security of people, families, communities, uh, global warming is, is a biggie. Uh, a second is cyber and cybersecurity. Uh, we live in a networked age, and our nation's critical infrastructure is all dependent on the integrity of those networks, and yet uh, we are routinely being hacked attacked with denial of service attacks, ransomware attacks, um, et cetera. And we really do not have an effective national uh, strategy or plan for how to deal with that. Uh, And then the third is the rise of uh, mass gun violence. Um, And we really don't have a good uh, understanding of what causes an individual to become radicalized to the point where they go out and they purchase a combat-ready weapon and take it to a school or a church or a nightclub or a military base or a workplace uh, and kill lots of people. So those are three areas where improvement is definitely needed. Well, we're going to talk more about uh, what's going on these days in the area of Homeland Security with uh, former DHS Secretary Jan Napolitano. Uh, after we take uh, a quick break. This is the Global Tennessee podcast from the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council. We invite you to share your thoughts with us in email, info at tnwac.org. You can subscribe to the World Affairs Council newsletter on the website, tnwac.org. And you can like us on Facebook at Tennessee WAC, as well as follow us on Twitter at TN. W-A-C. Don't forget to tell your friends about Global Tennessee and the World Affairs Council. This podcast and other educational programs from the World Affairs Council are supported by you and our sponsors. Are you interested in supporting global affairs awareness in your community? 
Visit TNWAC.org for more information. Welcome back to the Global Tennessee Podcast. Uh, this is Patrick Ryan, President of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. I'm honored today to be joined by with uh, former DHS Secretary uh, Janet Napolitano, who is currently the President of the University of California System, and she is here in Nashville talking about uh, her new book, How Safe Are We? I read it over the weekend. I highly recommend it. It will bring you up to date on uh, all of the things you uh, either knew and forgot or you should know. And and uh, give you some perspective on uh, what's happening in the homeland security arena, uh, Madam Secretary. We we talked we touched a little bit about uh, some current issues. You mentioned uh, climate change and cyber, but let's let's talk about uh, one of the main sections of your book, homeland security in the age of Trump. And nowadays, it seems that we're talking a lot about border security and immigration and asylum seekers. Can you put some of that in context for for those who just kind of see the the uh, the Facebook uh, piece or a Twitter uh, piece and, and don't really have a good idea of what, what those issues are about. Sure, Patrick. And, and I'll just um, uh, begin by saying uh, I know that southwest border very well. I, I grew up in New Mexico. I spent most of my professional life in Arizona as the U.S. attorney, attorney general, then governor. Um, you know, I've walked that border. I've ridden it on horseback. I have flown it in fixed-wing aircraft and in helicopters. Um, uh, I've driven it, so I, I, I know it very well. Look, the border is a zone to be managed. It's 1,940 miles. Uh, it is uh, uh, a lot of different kinds of lands. There's public lands. There's a lot of private land. Uh, there's sovereign Indian nation land. There's very dry, uh, 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 mountainous uh, desert areas. There are riparian areas. Um, so it's, it's a very long border. And interspersed along the border are ports of entry uh, through which thousands of vehicles uh, travel every day. Mexico is our third leading trading partner. Uh, um, and, and so uh, how did the border end up uh, uh, where it is uh, right now. Um, uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's a function of a change in immigration patterns and uh, uh, really a function in uh, uh, bad planning and, and you know, the, uh, a focus on a wall as opposed to a strategy. And I'll just begin by saying a wall is a symbol, it's not a strategy. Um, and uh, so there's so many things to touch upon, but I'll begin with this, which is that um, if, if you just watched the news the last two years, you would think the Department of Homeland Security was really the Department of the Southwest Border, that there were no other issues, uh, no other responsibilities. Uh, and that's just simply not the case. And in terms of actual risk to safety or security of the American people, um, I wouldn't put the border in, in, my, in my top three or four or five. Um, it's an area, as I said, to be managed. Um, what, what is going on at, at the border is a function of the fact that conditions in three Central American countries, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, um, have become uh, un uh, uh, unlivable uh, for uh, 
um, so many people. Um, unlivable because of uh, uh, lots of violence, very high homicide rates, lots of gang infiltration. Uh, uh, and then you have some uh, things that are the result of climate change and new plant diseases that have destroyed, for example, the coffee crop in Guatemala. Uh, and so uh, you have uh, uh, lots of families with children fleeing um, uh, to seek safety and security in the United States. There's reasons people are coming. There's reasons people are coming. Uh, and... Uh, you know, they arrive at the border and they turn themselves in uh, and petition for asylum, which is what they're entitled to do under our law. Um, the uh, administration has taken the view that all of these petitioners should be held in detention, uh, which has resulted in uh, horrendous conditions at these detention facilities along the border, which were uh, not designed for families with children, um, not designed for children really at all, and not designed to hold people more than a couple of days. Now, um, these these are people separate from illegal border crossers. These are asylees, asylum, well, asylum seekers. They have crossed illegally and turned themselves in. Uh, which they are entitled to do under the law. Um, and uh, the way it works is... Um, so they're lawfully in the country if they're requesting asylum, because a lot of people talk about the illegals and, and you know when people question the, the treatment and the conditions they're under, some people just you know, wring their hands that, well, if they weren't illegal, but th this is a legal activity. Um, um, yes, they've crossed illegally, but now they're exercising their, uh, their rights. Um, and uh, the way those rights are exercised is uh, they appear before uh, an, uh, an immigration uh, judge to establish uh, that they have a credible fear uh, of um, persecution uh, 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 in their country of origin. And if it's found that they have a credible fear, uh, uh, then they um, uh, have a, a hearing set uh, uh, to further explore whether they are entitled to remain in the United States um, under the laws of asylum. And uh, they you know, one of the, the, the problems is uh, that, um, and, and the Trump administration has picked up on this, is that um, there's a, a, a huge backlog of cases in the immigration court system. And, and so uh, there's, you know, several years wait time between when you have your credible fear hearing and when you have uh, your, your overall hearing. And, uh, you know, people, you know, move to communities in the United States, they set down roots, they have children, you know, uh, and um, uh, so, you know, so the Trump administration uh, says that, well, that's problematic. Well, there's a response uh, to that. Uh, and uh, really the response is, I think of it as, you know, to flood the zone with the rule of law to uh, bring more immigration judges to the border um, to uh, 
handle these credible fear hearings. Uh, and then to uh, schedule the, um, the case determinations for the applicants um, first. Uh, in other words, they don't go at the end of this long queue of backlog, but they get uh, dealt with first. Um, and um, they're either found to be entitled to asylum or, or not. And if they're not entitled to asylum, they are returned to their country of origin. Uh, um, but uh, um, what we have now is kind of the worst of all worlds, where um, uh, families with children appear, they apply for asylum, they're held in inhumane um, conditions, uh, uh, they, um, uh, there's no plan for how to get th these cases resolved. And uh, so it, it it's, it's just seems to be a Gordian knot. But this is a knot that could be untangled um, if it were viewed um, from a management perspective and, and not from kind of an immigration rhetoric perspective. In addition to the southern border, we also have uh, questions about uh, refugees and, and migration, and some of it is a result of civil strife, especially in the Middle East in recent years, but uh, also climate change is now having uh, an impact on migration patterns. Uh, what, what's your uh, perspective on what the United States is doing in terms of uh, taking in refugees uh, uh, over the time when you were at DHS and what you see happening now? Right. So. Um, uh uh, in the in the Trump administration, they've uh, severely limited the number of refugees that uh, the country will take. Um, and uh, in the meantime, the global population of refugees has risen substantially. Um, and uh, part of uh, this, and we're going to see more of this, is uh, would be kind of climate refugees. Um, fleeing areas of the world where uh, there's no water. Um, uh, and, and when I say there's a drought, no, there's no water. Uh, um, and uh, fleeing areas of the world where uh, new uh, uh, plant diseases and so forth have destroyed the local agricultural economy. Uh, and that's a security um, issue, A, because it's changing migration patterns, uh, but also B, because Areas of the world where um, uh, there has been, for example, extreme drought and the, the destruction of the agricultural economy, uh, that means uh, lots of young men uh, without jobs, without hope. Um, they're very ripe for terrorist recruitment. And uh, I think we can uh, uh, look at Yemen, for example, as a a very troubled area of the world, huge refugee population out of Yemen. Um, but uh, it is um, in, in part, uh, actually in large part, uh, in the end traceable to climate. What other uh, issues do you see uh, in, in the current uh, portfolio of the, of the DHS that uh, people should be mindful of? We've still got questions of uh, potential terrorism attacks. Uh, ISIS is defeated as far as being a caliphate, but they certainly are not gone. They continue to uh, plague governments around the world. So terrorism, both the, you know, the, the Boston bomber, indigenous, uh, homegrown, below the radar, but also the international terrorism uh, continues to be a problem. Cybersecurity, we, uh, we see 
no let up from Russia and other sources to interfere with our elections. Uh, can, you, can you talk about some of these uh, and, and maybe uh, what you refer to as black swans in your book? So um, uh, let's begin with cyber. Um, um, you know, when, when I started as secretary in 2009, I spent maybe 10% of my time on cyber-related matters. By the time I left in 2013, it was 40% of my time. Um, and I would venture to, to say that um, uh, my successors um, should have been spending that much or more on cyber. Um, and one of the things I talk about in my book is um, uh, the, pa the parallel to 9-11. So 9-11 happened after it, a very prestigious commission was appointed to kind of reverse engineer, you know, how did those attacks occur? And the 9-11 commission report goes through in detail all the red flags that were raised uh, that were not connected. Um, and it, in the end, it, 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 it simply says we suffered from a failure of imagination. We just failed to see um, how a conspiracy could be um, uh, conducted to carry out that kind of an attack. In the cyber world, we're seeing those red flags now. We're seeing hacks, we're seeing denial of service attacks, we're seeing um, ransomware uh, uh, attacks on some of our cities. And, um, you know, we shouldn't suffer from that same sort of failure of imagination. We need to be thinking through what happens if a foreign state actor uh, gets into um, our electrical system, uh, not just in one city, but in multiple cities across the country. Well, aren't um, they already there? Uh, um, they Reports they, that Russia's been in. Uh, yes, and. Um, and we've been doing the same? Doing, doing the same, and we rely on the private owners of our critical infrastructure to uh, um, handle the security aspect of, of those networks. Um, and, uh, you know, in the end, I think uh, that may be a mistake, uh, and um, there will need to be federal standards that um, all utilities must satisfy in order to operate. Uh, because in a network system, a, a gap in one area uh, is a weakness for all. Uh, and so, um, uh, you, know, you know, if the president were to call me and to ask for my uh, advice, one piece of advice I would give him is to establish really a kind of a pre-9-11 commission, as it were, for cyber, and uh, to charge it with answering, and I go through this in my book, uh, uh, a dozen basic questions in order to strengthen our nation's uh, uh, cybersecurity um, uh, regime. And uh, in so doing, by the way, uh, we need to focus on our election systems. Um, uh, we know that the Russians were all over our 2016 election. Uh, we uh, don't know whether um, they were actually in the 
machinery where the ballots are collected and counted. Um, but it's not a far stretch to suggest that that sure. it could be the next step. Uh, and if our country relies on anything, it's on the electoral process and the integrity of our elections. Right. And to have them be susceptible to foreign interference uh, the way we saw in 2016 and the way we're seeing now as we head into 2020, um, that is a profound risk that our country just needs to deal with. And that to deal with it effectively really requires leadership from the or president. Or even just the suspicion that uh, there's some something going on there. E exactly. And, you know, just imagine what happens if this election is close um, and um, uh, suspicions are raised about uh, whether a foreign country um, was actually infiltrating um, the collection and counting of ballots. Um, that's just... That is just an intolerable circumstance, and it's not a big stretch of the imagination to see how that could happen. Well, we're, we're uh, close to uh, running out of time here, Madam Secretary. Any last thoughts on uh, some of these black swans or other issues of the day that uh, you think are important for our listeners uh, to know about? So black swans um, uh, are uh, unusual events, um, and um, one of the things that uh, unexpected but high impact? Uh, uh, unexpected and high impact. And, uh, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, we always need to keep uh, our eye on the nuclear um, issue uh, and, um, you know, the proliferation of uh, nuclear capabilities around the world. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I think... Um, uh, the administration is is now finding out, uh, you know, the 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 risk uh, that they um, uh, engendered by withdrawing from the Iran nuclear accord, uh, uh, which um, uh, gave the United States and the community of nations a mechanism. Uh, by which to measure Iran's um, uh, capability of enriching uranium uh, to turn it into a weaponizable material uh, uh, and was very detailed in terms of how that would be overseen and measured. Uh, and now, uh, alone amongst the community of nations, we withdrew from that uh, and now Iran has effectively uh, withdrawn from that and is now back in the business, apparently, of enriching uranium. Uh, and uh, from what I can tell, we have no strategy for how, how to deal with that. So, uh, again, uh, I, 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 I would return to uh, the notion that uh, we are safer when we are engaged with the community of nations. We are safer when we properly allocate risk and measure risk. Um, and uh, we would be safer if uh, we um, had uh, real national leadership on areas like cybersecurity and uh, uh, global warming, climate change. Um, uh, and that's what's going to be needed in the decades to come. 
Well, thank you so much for uh, visiting with us at the uh, Global Tennessee Podcast, the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We appreciate your time today. We've been speaking with Janet Napolitano, the president of the University of California, former DHS secretary in the administration of Barack Obama. Uh, and if uh, you're talking with uh, the president, uh, tell him that the World Affairs Council of Tennessee would welcome him to stop by and uh, do a podcast with us. Um, uh, and uh, we, we wish you well here in uh, Nashville, and good luck with the book. It's a terrific read. Again, uh, How Safe Are We by Janet Napolitano, uh, former DHS secretary. Uh, this has been the Global Tennessee Podcast, and this is Patrick Ryan. Thank you for listening. This has been Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council in cooperation with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The executive producer of Global Tennessee is Patrick Ryan, senior producer Logan Monday, technical advisor Bill Ryan, and the voice of Global Tennessee as well as the Penn Jones Conspiracy, I'm Benjamin Olson. Visit tnwac.org podcast for more information.